All right. Hello and welcome to another episode of the RPG Academy. I'm not sure what to call this because I, I keep wanting to say the RPG Academy presents Waterdeep Dragon Heist, but that was our stream. I guess technically I'm here with the Waterdeep Dragon Heist crew. Hello. Hey. So, yes. So whether this is a faculty meeting or a... Oh, are we faculty now? This um, is kind of like the post-credit scene, isn't it? Exactly. Like this the end of an the, Avengers movie. Mm-hmm. This is a special, like, you know, whatever they I got my, DVDs. I, I got my shawarma, and it's hot and ready to eat. All right. So anyway, I am Tom. I am with the RPG Academy. You can follow me at BezcarTom on Twitter. And who am I joined by tonight? Hey, this is Troy Hufford. You can... Find me at the store, I guess, if you find me. Um, Bunch of jokers. Yeah, I played Valbar. I'm not playing Valbar anymore, I guess, because that series is over, right? It is. Yes, Troy, our wonderful purple gnome proprietor of many things. Mm -hmm. Well done. All right, and then who else is here with us? Hey, it's Jake. I I did play Macon Kent, the suave Devonair bard. And I am here to put this character to rest. Yes. I, I can Macon Kent was definitely a fan favorite. Who with my wife, the the one fan. <laughs> with our one fan. <laughs> Thank you, Jake's wife. Oh, my wife joined in too. Our our wives are very supportive of us. Yes. <laughs> we we had our, our two Twitch followers, guaranteed, every night. So yeah. anyway, so what do we want to, what we wanted to do tonight? was we wanted to just kind of unpack what we thought about Waterdeep Dragon Heist, what we thought about the module itself, and what we thought about the campaign that we ran, and then also what's coming next for us, because we definitely have plans to continue with this same group of players and to move on to another campaign. We passed the test. We're you invited back. passed the test. So <laughs> Alex is not with us tonight, and Caleb is not with us tonight, but... They don't matter as much as you two. We're just gonna we're just, <laughs> gonna, we're just gonna throw that out there. How yeah. Sweet. So, like I said, it is. I'm joined here with Troy and Jake, Valbar Mundy, our brave gnome, and Making Kent, our fantastic bard. So, for those of you who don't know, we ran Waterdeep Dragon Heist and we streamed it to the RPG Academy's Twitch channel, and then also released all the videos to YouTube. Turned out to be it was 14 episodes, and then the finale. Each we streamed on every other Wednesday. We only, guys, be proud of yourself. We actually only missed two nights. Wow. That's pretty good. So, but yeah, so you can go catch up on those. And this is going to be a full-on spoiler talk. But, hey, <laughs> don't worry about it. You can listen to this, too, and go back yeah. and watch the videos. So, First thing, Waterdeep Dragon Heist, it is the one of the official hardcovers released by Wizards of the Coast last spring, and it was written by James Intracasso and James Hike. Two fantastic writers, and so they wanted to write basically a city adventure. It was Waterdeep Dragon Heist is very low level. It's also the first fit, official 5th edition supplement that gives you four different bad guys to choose from. For our particular game, we chose the Castle Lanterns. So it was definitely a wild ride. As the GM, things changed drastically, as they do. But first, I just want to get 
your t- your guys' thoughts. All right, just general, and we'll kind of dive into some deeper things. What'd you think of the module first, Troy? What'd you think? I mean, as a as a player, I had a lot of fun playing it. You know, I enjoyed you know going through the city and uh, encountering some of the NPCs. Now, you know, I wasn't able to go behind the screen to see you know how far we deviated from you know the content that's in the book. Um, but, you know, as a player, I thought that it was fun. You know, there was, um, a lot of different engaging elements, you know, we kind of went back and forth on, you know, what we thought we were going to do versus what we ended up doing. Uh, there was some good conversation, um, that came out of that. So I don't know. I, I had fun overall, but, you know, I'm interested to see as a player, maybe more behind the scenes stuff that maybe Tom can share, you know, I'll have some I, I questions will- for you too. We uh, perfect. We talked about it some, not a whole lot. I really didn't give you guys a whole lot about, but in reality, you all didn't deviate too much from the main storyline. You Mm -hmm. deviated from how I thought you were going to do it. But for the most part, we kept the NPCs the same. We didn't travel outside of Waterdeep. We didn't add in a bunch of stuff. If anything, I took a lot of stuff out to simplify it, but that's kind of my style of play. Mm -hmm. So we'll kick it over to Jake. Jake, overall, you're a dungeon master. You run a lot of games. I, what, what's your perspective from being a dungeon master and then also from a player? What'd you think? So I definitely, from, I guess, the player standpoint, I thought it was lots of fun. Uh, and I know that actual city adventures are kind of in short supply. Like it's usually, you know, you're going to a specific place and you have to sort of figure out, especially if you're doing a long form campaign, how you're going to get your characters to want to go there. And this is one of those things where it's like, you just have to put them in the city and the rest of this sort of falls into their lap. Whereas usually, you know, you have to be very diligent with how you introduce your characters to the uh, adventure saying, oh, well, you're going to this city for a very specific reason to follow this plot hook or else, you know, it doesn't make sense. But it, it, it has a lot more freedom, I think, than most campaign adventures, especially like Out of the Abyss. That one's very, very linear. There's not a lot of deviation and you don't let the players really explore any kind of problem solving. It's really just you start here and you finish here and you follow every single page of this adventure where you beat. <laughs> yeah. And I feel like this one is more the like, for example, a great uh, idea was the like the keys in order to open the dragon door. Yeah. It's very, yeah. very open world esque where you're sort of using, it's kind of like using your player knowledge as well to figure out, you know, where you could get some of that stuff. And, you know, cause we sort of bent the rules here and there on what we, what we could and couldn't do. But, um, I don't know if bent the rules. It's more like took them and twisted them and turned them and melted them into how you thought they should be. True, true. Yeah. But that, I mean, that's D&D in a nutshell, isn't yeah. it? So, and I think from a, a DM standpoint, I don't know because I, I, I promise not to look at the book, but I, I could tell that there was a lot of, I guess, fun things for the DM as well, just rolling on those tables and having that same aspect of Tom doesn't know exactly what's going to happen either because right. of the, the actual tables. And I love when adventurers can do that because so often the DM has to sit there and sort of make sure everybody else is having fun. But I think when, when the writers can put in those things where it's like suspense for the DM as well, it mm-hmm. can be a lot more fun all around. Yeah, yeah definitely. 
it's there was a lot of stuff in here that I wasn't sure about. And it's not like you said, it wasn't just because you guys just did something crazy. It's because a lot of the stuff in here, it's not linear. It's a sandbox. But what I liked about it, it was a contained sandbox. Mm-hmm. And you all were very good. And you did not leave the sandbox. <laughs> we should have left Waterdeep. That's well, what we should have done. The thing was, like, we we talked about it, right? We we talked about, oh, we're not going to go do the Dragon Heist thing. And there were multiple times where Tom's like, oh, you know, there's all these, you know, gold pieces down here. And we're like, oh, no, we're going to do something else. But we never really, like, went off the rails. And we're like, all right, we're just going to board this ship and sail out to sea, you know? <laughs> no, because... You know that would be done, and then Tom was like, "All right, <laughs> the game is over." That would have been the end of the game. The end of it. No, yeah. it was. It, I think there's there really is a lot to do within Waterdeep, and it, I wasn't going out and grabbing other supplements, old fourth edition stuff, or even going even further back, or even getting stuff off the DMs Guild. I was just using what was in the book, and I really mm-hmm. didn't use any. We ran it pretty close to how it was meant to be run. Yeah. So the kind of the general structure of it, you guys know, is there's the opening chapter where you're in the yawning portal. All right. I mm-hmm. got it right this time. You're yeah, in the yawning was. portal. And then you kind of get Troll Skull Manor. And then you start to learn that there's some stuff going on within Waterdeep. And then the book gives you an option when the players get to a point. They're like, pick a bad guy. The bad guys in this book, you have the Castle Lanterns, which we chose. You have... um Xanathar, you have Manchun, and then you have Jarlaxle, uh, which is, uh, so there's these four different characters. The reason that we chose the Castle Lanterns, I didn't want to use Manchun because it, he's so steeped in Forgotten Realms lore, I'm like, I don't want to deal with any of that. Xanathar just seemed way too wacky, and I was like, mm-hmm. alright, they're already going to be very wacky, I don't want to give them another element of wackiness. Uh, and then Jarlaxle, it would have been you all would have teamed up with him and done all sorts of stuff. I was like, yeah. we're gonna be good guys. We're gonna pick the Castle Lanterns because, hey, first off, they are super evil, all right, and then they are very dark. And so I knew you all are. Hey, you all are pretty funny. I'll give you. I'll I'll give you that. Oh, okay. Thanks. Yeah. Hey, that's that's an audio recording now. That's it gonna is. live forever. It is. And so I knew you all were going to be really leaning into the humor. So I was like, all right, so we need something a little darker to mm-hmm. kind of balance it. Balance it. Yeah. I wonder, what did you guys, because we started out, the Castle Lanterns are very, very dark. Mm-hmm. Okay. And this was our big, bad, evil guy. Did you all expect it to get this dark? I don't know that I expected it to get this dark. I, th- I think we've been playing long enough together to kind of trust each other. Right. So, you know, as players, we, we, I guess me personally, I can't speak for Jake and Caleb and Alex, but me personally, I wanted to just create character, which develops story. And I know that, you know, sitting across from you for however many years we've been playing together, Mm -hmm. I know that you're looking to do, to develop those themes. Right. So, you know, what we bring to the table and we know what you bring to the table and that level of trust builds this whole story right so adding that level of darkness to the humor i think is a good touch from your perspective whereas you knew going in that we were just going to try to create character and have fun with it and goof off and make fun of you so you make yes yeah <laughs> make fun of me <laughs> yeah so that was really our goal you know all the way through so yeah 
Jake, what about yourself? Because we did it, it. It started out light. It's it wasn't jokey, super jokey. It was just adventurous. It felt very um, sword and sorcery, jumping around the streets of Waterdeep, and then all of a sudden, I'm like, hey, have some darkness in your heart. Here it is. Yeah, I What'd think. think? Uh, I think the really big moment that that the camping turned to that was the whole um, Keon death yeah. situation. I feel right. like after that, it was a very stark turn toward that more dark side, and I mm-hmm. think even our characters were starting to feel that a little bit, and they were. Mm-hmm. They, it was harder for them to hold on to that, you know, happy-go-lucky attitude. But I think that's what makes D anD D better than anything else out there is because you can really explore some of those themes that you wouldn't normally be able to delve into, um, you know, in a everyday life. Yeah, we definitely, for those, the key for Keon, the whole, my, my brother, Caleb was part of our campaign and he was playing Keon. So he had some life stuff come up and he had to jump out of the campaign and he gave us plenty of time to be like, Hey, Tom, I'm going to be leaving. Let's do something with Keon. So I didn't tell him I was going to kill him. I was, we were going to kind of just kind of almost let him ride off into the sunset at first. But then Keon made some decisions that kind of led to him being executed, all right, by the, by the water, the mask lords of Waterdeep and the city guards. Because there is very, very, very good legal ramifications in this book that are like, hey, your players can't be killing people. They can't be just stealing stuff. Mm-hmm. They can't be doing all sorts of crime. Keon decided that he was going to do those crimes. Okay? Um, at the time, they may have felt... It, it, they were kind of... Keon was kind of being pushed that way by the castle lanterns in the background. And yeah, we... Keon was executed and it got a lot darker than I thought it was going to be. And we leaned into it. And because you all had experienced loss, Macon yeah. and Valbart, you experienced loss. It changes. You're 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 no longer singularly focused on getting this gold. So if it wasn't for Caleb leaving, and this is me asking you the question as a DM, if mm-hmm. it wasn't for Caleb having to step away, would we have had some sort of other plot twist to make it go down a dark path, or would we kind of continue along the trajectory we were going? Because there were other elements too, right? We were kind of poking and prodding at the world right to you know kind of test the boundaries but had you planned in the background that something else was going to happen potentially and we just never went that route because caleb's character died um yes kind of um so the castle lanterns themselves like you they they're very dark so for those who don't know the castle lanterns they make a deal with asmodeus jake who's asmodeus asmodeus is like the lord of all the devils not the demons, because they're they're at war. And Osmodeus, he he wants perpetual war with demon kind forever and ever. And he lives in the bottom layer of the abyss. Yeah. So he's very. Whereas demons are very chaotic evil, the devils are very lawful evil. And the castle lanterns make a deal with him, and. In that deal, they have 10 years to basically collect so much gold and so many souls. And so that in of itself is very dark. Mm. And so what I was going to do, I was going to kind of really lean into the the castle lanterns. They were going to be the dark element. And, you know, the whole like conniving, rubbing their hands together, evil kind of sense. But I didn't have to do that. And I really didn't have to lean into the evilness of the castle lanterns. 
it, it just the way that things kind of went and the way you all played your characters so well that all you all did was magnify how evil you felt the castle lanterns were mm-hmm. so it it happened very um out of any campaign it happened very organically and i didn't have to force it and it it was really nice as a gm so as much crazy stuff that you all did handling the death of keon you all did you know chef kiss all right it was perfect <laughs> okay so <laughs> so yeah i mean i would definitely recommend if you want to run a lower level sandboxy but really contained it's definitely a good adventure there's mm-hmm. a lot of cool stuff in here yeah so especially jake you ran out of the abyss with out of the abyss had jarlaxle yes well. yes do you th- they, they leaned really heavily on sort of the deep lore of forgotten realms without being very preachy about it um but like some some more things they brought up the whole daggled never ember and mm-hmm. the whole um Laurel Silverhand situation, which I believe is touched on in the Rise of Tiamat book, is where they yes. sort of go through that whole thing. And so it's really nice to see just those subtle nods for people like me who really enjoy and in some cases have to know the lore when you run games in the Forgotten Realms. It's really nice to see them staying true to that canon. Yeah, so I do. that's a good point. I do want to touch on that. It's definitely... It, it is heavy Forgotten Realms lore, and myself, I'm not a, I'm not really a heavy Forgotten Realms person. So it definitely took a lot of research to run this. I don't think this is something that you can just drop into a homebrew setting. That's just I'm sure you can. You're gonna have to do a lot of work. There's a lot of really popular NPCs in this book from other um, media within Wizards of the Coast. So it is in Dungeons and Dragons, so it is heavily, heavily influenced by existing lore and canon. Just mm-hmm. throwing that out there. So, what I wanted to talk to you. Alright, now we've kind of talked about the campaign itself. What, Jake, what was your favorite moment? Oh, uh, my favorite moment. I think my favorite moment would probably have to be I don't know, I feel like so many times, all of those times where we just like pretended to be somebody that we absolutely weren't and had no business being (laughs) like i feel like anytime we did that and successfully got away with it it was just it was a great feeling and i think the one that stands out the most is where um i tossed keon my little plush beholder and he took over a sect of xanathar's guild and Mm -hmm. i turned into yaraxel bainair and pretended to be him and we stopped a gang fight without firing a shot by pretending (laughs) to be the leaders of these two factions and everybody just kind of went with it it's so funny you mentioned that because that is actually one of the moments that i distinctly remember because i was like people were telling me it wasn't like a bad thing but they're like hey tom you guys just don't do combat. And I was like, you know what? That's right. We should probably, because I wanted to highlight <laughs> D&D with this game. It's like, we're doing it for the RPG Academy. I want to, you know, all the pillars. So exploration, investigation, and then um, combat. And so I was like, let's do some combat. And then all of a sudden I'm like, yeah, gang war. Yeah, all these people on the streets. Yeah, and then you guys just diffuse the combat. And I was like, <laughs> great. Maybe next time. Yeah. That's funny. No, that was a good moment. All right, Troy, yourself. I, well, think, was- I think you got to have a mixture, right? So my moment, I, I'm assuming it's the same question that you asked Jake. Yes. But, uh, my favorite moment, I like the character moments. So, you know, right before Keon was executed, there was that scene where he's in jail, you know, 
And at this point, like you were mentioning before, we didn't know Keon was going to die, right? So we're coming up with, you know, different ways to get him out, and there's just no way that any of it's going to happen. I know in the chat, there was a period, too, where all the, you know, the chat was just going crazy about, like, oh, my gosh, like, this is so emotional. I think those kind of moments are really kind of what moves the story along. Mm -hmm. Because, like you said, there was such a momentous shift in how our characters acted afterwards just because we had experienced that loss. And the I was at that moment when you're in the jail, Keon is awaiting his execution. Yeah. You I you all maybe I'm not sure if you Troy, you said you didn't know. Jake, you I'm not sure if you had an idea, but I definitely had the feeling that I was like, oh my word, they don't realize what me and Caleb or Caleb and I we've we've talked about. Yeah, right? I didn't know. They don't know. We're about to I think uh I think Caleb had mentioned it to me because he knew I knew he was gonna be gone. But I feel like in that moment, I think, and that's what it'll highlight why Tom is so amazing. That's right. For me, emotionally, and I, I said this as I was going to bed that night, I was like, I felt like I had actually experienced loss. And I know it's kind of like, you know, like, oh, whatever. But it, I I knew that Caleb was leaving the game, and I hate to see anybody leave a game halfway through. Because, you know, the story's unfinished. That's yeah. your friend you don't get to hang out with on a day, you know. And so... I feel like not only my character was trying to keep his friend alive, but I think Jake was trying to keep Caleb there. I just kept telling myself, (laughs) if I can just make it not happen tonight, then he'll have to come back one more time. And I think that really added to the whole emotion of the moment. It's because I think think personally, we were all kind of going through a Caleb loss as well. Yeah. And not just to harp on Caleb all the time, right? I mean, there are a lot of good character moments. You know, there's... Um, but that's just really the one <laughs> that stands out to me. Yeah, Caleb's um, gonna love this episode. Oh, he's gonna love it. Oh my word, guys, we're just gonna feed, stoke that ego. All right, oh no. My so, gosh. all right. So, my, one of my favorite moments was the moment. So, we brought in Alex as our yeah. new player when Caleb left the game, and Alex um, played Guinevere, a princess of Coromir, and he's. He's basically, he's working, for, she's, well, her, his character, Guinevere, she's working for the Zents mm-hmm. and, and for Davil's star song. And Davil requests her to give him information about what you're doing. And there's this moment where you all are walking through Waterdeep and Alex is hands off a little note to this boy to run to Davil <laughs> with information. <laughs> and Valbar gets so angry because yeah. Valbar knows something is up with Guinevere, but he just can't figure it out it just it was one of the i think one of the funniest because i could just see it was similar to what you were saying jake whereas um macon was experiencing the loss and you jake were experiencing the loss as well and in this moment mm-hmm. valbar was experiencing intense frustration and yeah. troy was experiencing intense frustration that he couldn't <laughs> figure out what guinevere was doing and it was it was it was perfect. Yeah. I had so much fun with well, the Guinevere and Valbar interactions. Yeah, and that was one of the... I debated making that one of my favorite moments as well. But really, that whole interaction where we're getting all the different keys to open the the um, the door, you know, that definitely stands out as one of the moments for me. But, you know, my player knowledge and my character knowledge were different at that time, right? So I knew that Jake had... Um, this whole thing where he didn't feel like uh, Gwen was against him and he was really influencing her. So I knew that there was that interaction, but my character did not know that. So Valbar's very frustrated 
that, you know, Macon is, has this close connection. It's like, oh, everything's fine. But I'm, I'm as Valbar seeing like all these notes being handed off and all the secrecy. And that was very frustrating. So cool. Um, all right. Yeah. All right. So here's the next question. Um, Troy, we'll start with you. Who was your favorite NPC? Cause there's a lot of them. We wrote, there's a revolving door. There were a lot of NPCs. I think my favorite NPC, oh, man, I really like Zoblob. Zoblob was a lot of fun for me. Zoblob was the other purple gnome who that ran was the, the other shop. purple gnome. Yeah, anytime we saw Zoblob, I got a lot of joy out of that. Um, and I think that was more just a selfish thing for me because Valpar was purple gnome and Zoblob was a purple gnome. And there was that whole mysterious interaction of their past. So, yeah, Zoblob, he was a good one. You guys almost got Zoblob killed too by yeah. handing Zoblob a fake hat that you had stole from Jarlaxel and yeah. trying to convince Jarl. Yeah, it was it was a whole thing. Mm-hmm. Um, Jake, favorite yes. NPC. Ah oh, man, so I think I really liked Three Strings. I liked playing off of him. I really like the random uh, NPC, the juggler girl. Oh, yes. She never really came back up, but I thought Jewel that was... The, Jewel the juggler of the juggling clans of the North. Yes. Um, but I think the best NPC that we had was uh, good old Volo. Because Volo. obviously, like, in the realm of Forgotten Realms, like, this dude is... He was, you know, the, the second in command or whatever, second apprentice to... Elminster himself, like the biggest, baddest mage of all time. And here we are treating him like he is our uh, bus boy and he should be watching after our bar. And like nowhere did it cross anybody's mind to like treat him with any sort of reverence or respect. We were just kind of like, yep, you're our little go-to guy. It's funny. I was actually, for my favorite NPC, I I was going to say Volo as well because from a GM standpoint, Volo was so great to use as a quest giver. And the way I kind of played him out was I'm like, this guy is legendary. I'm going to play him as chill as possible. So I was really channeling some, I was really channeling the dude. And I was just like, you know what? Just kind of like these crazy characters are going to do all sorts of crazy stuff. I just got to go with it. Cause if I could, I can't get stressed out about this stuff. Um, mm-hmm. and so, but so yeah, Volo was definitely from a, if you're going to run this, use Volo a lot. He's very useful. He's very, he's an interesting NPC. He's a lot of fun to do. Um, my favorite, my other favorite NPC to play was definitely um, the Black Viper, Ezveil. Because there's this, in all of our game groups, it's kind of a running joke that Tom loves to make super, super cool NPCs that are just, oh, because Tom likes to describe their cape florals and, ah, oh, it's so cool. And they and get to all say kinds cool of other lines. new words that don't exist. Yeah, and and then you all just ruin them. <laughs> 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 but thankfully, we were able to keep, make the Black Viper kind of cool still. So, yeah. it was, I, I, liked, I liked using her a lot. Okay, so... NPCs out of the way. Who? All right. Worst moment. Okay. Because, hey, it happens. Whether it's it in happens. the game or it's in real life. What was the worst moment, Jake? Oh, so the, mer- the worst moment, and I-, I don't think I'll ever recover from this, is uh, <laughs> we were in Bainer's ship. 
and I had just killed this giant spider that was on the roof of the ship, and I killed it, and the DM said those famous words that you always want to hear is, all right, how, how do you do it? How do you kill it? And of course, I'm like, man, he's really asking me to be creative and show my awesome storytelling skills. So I, I, I describe it. I take out my rapier. I cut its legs so it falls to the deck. And I fling my rapier around and stab it in the soft underbelly. And I say that. And the DM, he just goes, uh, yeah, go ahead and make a deck save. And I was like, oh, wow. I'm being punished for, for storytelling. So then I just said, never mind. I just kill it. So that would that would probably be the worst moment for me. The acid guts were gonna fall on you though. <sighs> it was. I felt really bad. So I, was, I, I was because no, I knew you were gonna say it because we've talked about that. Like Jake really does. It was so cool. It was very descriptive. And then I don't know what it was. I was just like, oh, this is what it says here. I was like, yeah, Jake, roll that dex. I could just see like I just like punched Jake in the gut. He's like, oh. <laughs> I think you. Fa- I think what happened was I think you rolled the dex and I think you failed it. And then you're just like, okay, never mind. I don't want to do that. I just stab it. And I was just like, wow, okay. <laughs> I feel like a parent that just like belittled their child or like made light of what they just did. <laughs> Man, it hurt. <laughs> a good one, Jake. <laughs> All right. All right, Troy. This oh, moment. This is a tough one for me because I don't know if there's a lot of low moments. I think it's more a disappointment than it is like a worst moment for me. You know, when Macon and Keon are going off of each other and they get amped up, there's really nothing that stops them. Um, and there was a point where <laughs> we're, we're interrogating. I th- we interrogated multiple characters, right? Oh, yeah. You all were very threatening. But we were very threatening and we ended up, like, trapping them upstairs. And, like, we brought, a, we brought one, like, one hit point away from death. I thought that was maybe a little unnecessary for our characters. But that was maybe more a character choice, I guess, from making a kiosk. But, you know, we weren't going to step in and be like, no, we can't do that. You know, but Valbar was not supportive of that part. Yeah, I could sense it, too, because Valbar and all right, so Macon and Keon were very different than Valbar. Yeah, right? they're definitely you guys making and Keon definitely leaned into chaotic Mm-hmm. neutral all right we're just gonna throw yeah. it right there and then valbar if anything was like a, a valbar and yeah i feel like you were either like lawful neutral or neutral true neutral i feel like i maybe ventured more i i leaned into chaotic near the end maybe but at the beginning i don't think that valbar was ready to take that leap mm-hmm. um and maybe that was just the character arc that he was yeah. developing but at the time right I don't know that that was really necessary from a party perspective, even. Yeah, Troy, I feel your pain. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, what do you do? We know how fun. What do you do? What do you um, do? I don't think it hurt anything necessarily, no. but um, I don't know. It was it was more a disappointment than it was a worst moment, I guess. Yeah. And that's decisions were made. And decisions are... were made. <laughs> decisions were made. Right, right wrong so or indifferent. My worst moment was many moments. Okay. Anytime you opened your mouth and a word came out that didn't exist, was that? I really don't care about that. You go watch the stream. You guys will realize that Tom just kind of, I just open my mouth and just words and letters just kind of spew out. And sometimes sometimes these words that Tom says don't exist. (laughs) And yeah, so no, I was okay with that. That's very much my brand. Um, (laughs) Oh, ABB, always be branding. All right. 
All right. So then, uh, the all right. All the times roll twenty crashed. Oh, oh yeah. Oh man. Yeah. Sponsored so, by a roll twenty. Sponsored by no, not really. <laughs> um so What about anyway. your Canadian Wi Fi that one time? That was yeah, also pretty so rough. Technical issues were definitely that was kind of the the big ordeal. No, I actually yeah. do probably have to say this that um Roll Twenty actually did provide the RPG Academy with the copy of Waterdeep Dragon Heist. So there's that. Uh-huh. But their system as a whole is definitely it's can be very glitchy, especially during peak times. Their servers mm. can crash sometimes, which is okay when you're just playing your regular home game. But when you're streaming, it is yeah. very frustrating. Right. And it's not that my internet connections are bad. It is just a Roll20 server crashed. Yeah. But no. And then also Canadian Wi-Fi. Oh, my word. Um, I, I travel a lot for my job. And so you all saw Tom streaming multiple times from a hotel. Never had any issues. And I was in New Jersey where it's basically a post-apocalyptic wasteland. And <laughs> But even they had great Wi-Fi. But I don't know. Canadian hotels. Yeah. Don't stream from them. Anyway. Okay. okay. So, all right. Worst NPC. What was that one NPC that you just hated? <laughs> Troy. So, I'm going to take a different spin on this. I think the worst okay. NPC that we developed. Okay. Um, or developed. Yes. Developed. Right. That's where I'm going is the sand elemental or the earth elemental. Ah, <laughs> uh, Thomas Hayden Church. We never tied that I loop know. at the end, and that was one of the biggest regrets I think we had. I think hey, the idea hey, was good. Alex still has to do his thing. Maybe that's where the sand guardian <laughs> show up. Uh, <laughs> no, I think I'm going to save Thomas Hayden Church, but go on, Troy. Yeah, so at time of recording, presently, um, that character is not fully developed um, and is out there, and Valbar sometime in the future has to pay off that debt to the sand elemental. Um, I think all the other character arcs, we kind of tied up, uh, but that was one where we missed it, I think. Yeah, we did. We did a really – very. we did it very naturally, too. We tied up everything. And, mm-hmm. I, yeah, I just kept forgetting to bring yeah, it in. I, I did, too. You didn't mention it, so I just yeah. would forget. And, yeah, so those who don't know, they had gotten to an encounter with Jarlaxle on the beach, and Troy – or Valbar in desperation decides he's just like – are there any like warlock patrons around here? I'm like, Troy, you're not a warlock. He's like, hold on, Tom, let me do my thing. And I made a blood like, pact with the earth. And so I was like, Oh, what am I going to do here? Oh, Oh, sand elemental. You're on the beach. And then it just yeah. kind of turned into Sandman. And then very specifically, we're like, no Sandman from Spider-Man three. And then Thomas Hayden church. And so mm-hmm. that's that. It was yeah. a very good joke that we did not finish. Yeah, it was a good joke. Yeah, it, <laughs> it worked was. in the moment. It got us out of that situation, yeah. but you know, it yeah. is what it is. All right, Jake. I think the uh, sort of the same thing, something we didn't fully figure out what happened with is the rival bar on Trollstar oh. Alley where I mean we we really ruined that guy's life and yeah, his yeah. bed and you know a lot of stuff and I don't know I think it might have been fun to have him wrap back around maybe in one of those really dark times to do something kind of petty. To see how the characters that are now dealing with, like, you know, friends dying and stuff, how they would deal with some kind of petty business dispute while they're in the middle of torturing somebody upstairs, you know? So it's funny that you mentioned that. That NPC, that whole story arc, it's very early on where there's a rival bar in Troll Skull Alley. I'm going to tell you why we didn't go back to that. Okay. So behind the scenes, I had this all planned out. 
All right. If we were going to do it and this was like super important, I'm like, I need everybody to be involved in this because you all were so invested in ruining this <laughs> NBC's life. Okay. <laughs> and I was like, I'm not going to take this away from any of my players. And then the night we were going to do that, I'm like, Troy, where are you? Troy, where are you? <laughs> this was that tr- night? That was that night. And Troy's not on oh. the stream. And I'm texting him, calling him like, Troy, what is going on? We thought Troy was in a car wreck. We're like, what is going on? And then all of a sudden, Troy, like later on that night, he calls me. He's like, yeah, Tom, I fell asleep. <laughs> <laughs> now, listen, when I when I go to sleep, my phone's on silent. You know, <laughs> nothing is going to wake me from that slumber. Oh, and that's Lord. what happened. I did miss the stream. I didn't set an alarm. Yeah. And that was that was a miss on my part. Yeah. And so then I was like, okay, we missed one and I want to get this campaign done. It just for the sake of expediency. And I just had to cut it. It was just like, because it wasn't going to go anywhere. It was just like, you guys are going to destroy his bar, ruin his life. And then, um, and it wasn't going anywhere. And it just kind of, I lost the momentum. So thanks, thanks Troy. Troy. My yeah. bad. Can I change my worst moment to that one? <laughs> <laughs> no, you you've made your choice. Okay. So, um are your my my worst NPC. Okay. My the Castle Lanterns. And the only reason I say that is I didn't feel like in the book they're very fleshed out. They're there, but they feel like this thing that is just kind of in the distance, and that's how I use them. They set the tone, they set the theme, they made pieces move, but you all really didn't get a chance to interact with them a whole lot until the end. And it's not, I tried super hard, but the book, it's the way these bad guys are kind of laid out, really the only one of the bad guys that you really interact with in all of the different ones is Jarlaxle. So you, I feel like you guys interacted with Jarlaxel more than the Castle Lanterns. Yeah. There was the time on the boat. There was the time where you all convinced Jarlaxel to kill Davil Starsong. Yeah, that was a thing. Um, and, Break his legs. <laughs> um, so there was... So the Castle Lanterns, I just... I didn't feel like I got to use them. And it wasn't because of lack of trying. It's just... They just... They were a big, bad, evil guy in... Within Waterdeep Dragon Heist, there's so much more interesting things than them. So that's really, it's honestly what it was. Uh, well, here's a question. Um, so when you say that they, you know, they're not super fleshed out, did it refer to them always as like the Castle Lanterns or did it ever break them out? Because I, I feel like that's a, probably where it sort of was like, here is the bad guy, which is two bad guys, you know? And, and, that, and they're never personified individually. Yeah. It it did, but they they are basically it's you've got Amelia Castle Lantern and Victoro Castle Lantern, and they are basically always together. They're very similar. Victoro does a little bit more magic, and that's about it. There's not much difference. Amelia is the one who's kind of in charge of doing the sacrifices and whatnot, which is I was you guys encountered her most at the end, but they really are they are it, they're not very interesting as far as that's just my opinion the whole setup around them is fantastic and but they're almost like pieces of furniture that are just kind of there and nice to look at but they're really really hard to use i'm not saying that it it, i really liked their arc but as far as an npc goes and npcs interacting with the players it was really tough well here's one last question on that I feel like the main driving force behind us going to the Castle Entrance Villa was purely because they had Keon. 
Yeah. How do how is that actually framed in the written adventure? Okay, this is how it's framed in the written adventure. No joke. The only ways to go to the Castle Lantern's villa is if you guys don't get the Stone of Golor and they get it. All right? Or if you guys don't get the gold. All right? If you guys don't get the gold, they get the gold and then you have to go to their place to get it. Gotcha. But it's not it's it's not hard in reality to get the stone of Golor and it's not hard to get the gold. Yeah. It really isn't. And I'm trying to figure out ways like how can they get it before the players? And it, they really can't. And so you kind of have to find a different way. There's the Founders Day festivals. Like that is really what's happening when they do their feast. So mm. if they get the gold, you're supposed to go on the Founders Day festival and stop them. But I'm like, well, you guys already have the gold. Hey, that's when I was like, oh, Keon. They have Keon. And so that's kind of where that kind of came from. It's mm. it's tough. What I really saw happening um, is I thought when we, because it's, you know, that classic, you know, Indiana Jones, you get the artifact, you come upstairs, and then it's like, oh, now here's the bad guy, and he's going to take that artifact from me. And so yeah. when they were waiting upstairs, I really thought it was going to be one of those sort of... Uh, Kobayashi Maru battles where there is no winning and we were just going to be left bloody while they walked off with our gold and then it would be like a vengeance kind of thing but so that actually is one of the things that can happen but during that combat Alex with Guinevere rolled so well and just wasted the two most powerful cultists right away it was instantaneously and that's one of the things with D&D 5th edition like a few really good hits, and hey, it's going to be way different. And Alex was dealing out a ton of damage as a paladin. And these are like demonic kind of characters, too. So he's getting his bonuses and whatnot. So having a paladin when you're doing the castle lanterns is pretty powerful. Because at when depending on who the villain is, that villain shows up with their people or at the end. So if you're doing Jorlaxle, he shows up with some of his people. The Xanathar Guild can show up. Uh, Manchun can show up with the Xantarum at the end. And But Alex just wiped them so now, fast. Now in that case, did you think about maybe forcing your hand in that case and saying, hey, this is this is what's going to happen? Or were there other instances where maybe you, you made your DM powers more apparent and said, hey, this is happening? So no, actually... I do that a lot in our home games. I did not do that pretty much at all during this game. I ran it pretty much by the book. Um, the combats were by the book. Um, the plot was by the book. I really didn't do a whole lot of hand-waving. So I'm like, that's how it is, and we're going to have to deal with it. Mm-hmm. So I, that's really how I wanted to run this, because we were doing it for a stream and for the audience in the YouTube videos. I wanted like. I want it to be, if, some, if you go back and watch our videos, you can. I didn't change a whole lot. That's what it is. So people can use them as a tool. Yeah. Cool. So, yeah. So um, next question on the list. Would you run this adventure? Jake. Yeah. I think it has a lot of replayability because of the different um, evil guys. And, I mean, I, I enjoy urban adventures more than more so than wilderness because most everything is always wilderness go to point a go to a dungeon get some loot come out and you have a clue to go to the next thing and i mean the the game that i run right now it's sort of heavy on uh forgotten realms lore but it's it's this kind of sandbox game where 
really the players are what decides what happens next. And I think that really is what D&D is all about. And I think the more we can get away from go to point A, do this thing, go to point B, do this thing, the more fun everybody gets to have, including me, because then when the night's over, I get to spend the whole next week planning on how I get to make all of their decisions come back and bite them in the in the butt. <laughs> yeah, I will say this. I know a lot about your home game. And yeah, I think there's a lot in here that you could use. So Well, and yeah. I've stolen some stuff already with the like the Volos uh, in Chiridian. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of good information just about Waterdeep in general. So even if you're not planning on running exactly what's in this book, I think this is almost as good enough to be a reference book for the City of Splendors itself. All right, Troy, you're not really a... a GM other than you run Paranoia? Yeah, I run, I dabble, right? So I've done a little bit of a Star Wars RPG. I do Paranoia from time to time. Um, I've run a couple of D&D um, one-shots, but I'm not really a lore guy. Um, mm-hmm. I think, you know, based on, you know, off of what Jake just said, I think is a good, this is probably a good introduction story, too, if you don't have a lot of lore history, you don't know who Volo is, you don't know who you know, all the different gods are in, you know, Waterdeep. I think it's a good introductory story to mm-hmm. get you going. Um, but I would say if you're newly starting off, it's probably a good thing to start with the A to B wilderness adventures, right? This is good storytelling. It's good sandboxing, but um, I don't know. It's a, I don't know. I'm torn in that perspective. Yeah. No, I think you bring up a good point, which I wanted to touch on this. Mm-hmm. The way Wizards of the Coast pitched this adventure, they pitched it as, hey, this is great for new GMs. This book is not great for new GMs. There's too many yeah. moving pieces. There's too much stuff that can go wrong. And this is just this is my opinion. And I know several other people who have the same opinion. This is a very good. It's low level. It's only one through four. But yeah. just because something's one through four doesn't mean that it's easy to run. This is an extremely complicated module to run. It's mm-hmm. fun, but there's a lot of moving bits, a lot of stuff to track, and a lot of a lot of things that can go differently yeah. than what you plan for. Right. So yeah, I don't know if I would run it particularly, right? A person who jumps from system to system. Um, but it, it's fun, right? It's fun. And so. we are nearing the end of our time, but what I want to do right now is I want to talk about what's next. Let's we we tied a bow on Waterdeep Dragon Heist. Um go back and watch all the YouTube videos. You can see them on the RPG Academy's channel. And we are going to be playing Ghosts of Saltmarsh next. Woo! Starting starting at the end of August. So I wanted to, we're going to be jumping into this. It's going to be Troy, um, Jake, and Alex, and then myself running it. And I am very excited for Ghost of Saltmarsh. As I've started reading and preparing for it, this is going to be a lot of fun. And it's a lot of fun for the, it's a lot more simple for the GM than Dragon Heist was. And I'm super excited for that. So, Jake, what are you looking for out of Ghost of Saltmarsh in our next campaign that you want to do differently than Dragon Heist Oh, man. Well, I definitely want to get away from my uh, normal pompous sort of thinker. I feel like any time I get a chance to play, I always sort of spec right into that. I'm smarter than you. I am, you know, planning three steps ahead of you, and I'm going to bluff my way out of anything. I really want to try something new and maybe be like a dumb barbarian and maybe I'll talk like this or something. (laughs) I'd be okay with that. 
<laughs> so yeah, that, I think it would be fun to play with you with you playing a different style of character. <laughs> I do enjoy your regular style of character, but I think I think you've got some more range, my friend. So, uh, Troy, what are you looking for? I I want to do a different accent first of all. I like okay, uh, you, you too. You just stole Jake's thing. Okay, it's continue. No, but it is straining to do an accent for a long time. That's not uh, like in your register and going going that high. You know, for such a long period of time, it wears on you. And I, you so stuck it with it. I did, man. I I'm trying. I'm trying that out. Right when I commit to something, you got to commit a hundred percent. Um, but you know, for the, the next campaign, I'm looking for the same thing I'm looking for, for this campaign and really any other campaign. Um, I'm looking for fun character moments. I'm looking for character development. Um, I'm looking for interaction between players and, and GMs here. I think our interaction's good. I like that, you know, in some instances you, you let us run and do our own thing, but you're real us in when you need to. And I think that's, you know, really all you can ask for in a game. Yeah, so. so what I'm looking forward to the most out of Ghost of Saltmarsh, we're gonna I'm I'm hoping to run it more episodic. So instead of there being this one very almost like one long movie like Dragon Heist kind of felt like, it's gonna be almost like short TV episodes where I'm gonna throw you guys here. You're this week you're fighting a kraken or something, and then this week you're in this village trying to pull one over on some pirates. And so I want to, we're going to try some different things with salt marsh and it's kind of written that way. There's, it's basically, I think it's nine different adventures within the book. So it's, it's made for that way. And then there's this one plot line that goes through them that you don't even have to use if you don't want to, which I'm really glad. So we're going to really be able to focus on the character interactions and you better believe it. I'm giving you guys a boat day one. Yes. The Guppy. What's that? It's called the Guppy. It's called the Guppy. All right. It's going to be fantastic. All right. I'm really looking forward to Ghost of Salt Marsh. So please stay tuned for that. Also, a really exciting update for Ghost of Salt Marsh is not only will we be streaming it on Twitch and then uploading the videos to YouTube, but we are going to be doing a audio only release that will be released on the podcast feed. And it is going to be high quality super premium all right nice. yes so i'm really looking forward to that um and um we're just gonna go from there it's gonna be the next evolution as we continue to improve um doing these i mean kind of like my one of my roles with the rpg academy is i'm the one who runs the hardcover modules i do my own stuff during our home games but i enjoy the hardcover modules so i found my little niche and we're gonna stay in it and we like it i mean because they're they're a lot of fun so anyway yeah that's that's kind of it we wanted to just kind of give you an update everyone and kind of tie a bow on this because it really was it was a lot of fun i always enjoy completing a campaign so that's about it sounds good good times thanks tom yeah, you're welcome. You're welcome, Troy. Jake. Thanks, Tom. There it is. All right. Appreciate that. <laughs> okay. Anyway, so we're going to sign off. Um, I am Tom. You can follow me at BezcarTom. And tonight I have been joined by... Us. Both of us. This is Troy. This is Jake. All right. And as always, don't forget... If you're having fun, you're doing doing it right. right.